Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Fearless Health Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and I am really, really excited about the guest that I have on today. Um, this is Dr. JJ Purcell, and she is a naturopathic physician out of Portland, Oregon, and very, very knowledgeable on a lot of things health. But today, we're going to be focusing on epigenetics and how that actually plays into your health. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're so welcome. I love your podcast and it's great to contribute. So anything that I have to share with those listening is great. Well, I am really, really excited to get into this today. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago and it was just so interesting to hear how you have transitioned your practice um, into discussing genetics. So I want to first jump into the topic of um the MTHFR gene that has been a, like a pretty big buzz going on. And, and I'm curious what you're seeing in practice and how this is changing the way that you're treating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is, it is very profound once you, once you start getting into it. And I've definitely gone down the, the rabbit hole. Um, and just, you know, to pull back a little bit, I just want to explain what epigenetics is and what MTHFR is um, so that everyone's on the same page and they can understand how it might be potentially impacting their own life. Yes, perfect. So epigenetics, you know, if we really do a very simple uh, definition, is the study of how our environment switches our genes on or off. So we now know that um, we aren't just born with this set of genes and they are static and they never change. Um, they are actually influenced by our life. They're influenced by how we sleep, what we eat, um, the people around us, our emotional well-being, um, how we exercise. It's just, it's very profound and it's such a fascinating science. And, you know, as we evolve as a scientific um, group, we're able to really take a look at what is going on with our genes and what is turning them on and turning them off, making them act not, not the way we want to and really affecting our health. So, um, you know, research has shown that, that the environment, like I said, can change. So I want to make it really clear that what you were born with isn't necessarily your, your destined life. You know, for example, I have a brother-in-law, his, his whole um, father's side of the family had heart conditions and they all passed fairly young. And once we started diving into this um, epigenetics component, we realized that, you know, those genes were getting turned on, which were really affecting the cardiac picture of his family's health picture when it comes to, to heart health. And we were able to really look at that and take that knowledge and, and change his whole um, outlook and the longevity of his life. So this is big stuff, folks. <laughs> and I love, um, I love sharing it with you all. And so, you know, one thing that we really have to start with is when we talk about epigenetics is we really have to start with this one word called methylation. 
<laughs> and it's a, it's a big word um, and it has big effects. So methylation, if, if you can kind of take a look at your body and as you know, you know, hundreds, thousands of things are going on every moment. You know, we're, we're breathing, we're digesting food, we're processing in our brains, we're, we're moving our bodies. You know, so much is going on every moment that we don't even think about, but the body is constantly in check. So if you think about a thousand different light switches in your body, and at given times, some are being turned on and some are being turned off. And that's basically methylation in a nutshell. <laughs> right. So methylation turns things on and turns things off. And it gets, um, gets that done by um, a, a series of events. So if your methylation isn't working well, things aren't necessarily working well inside your body. So some of these things that we always think of that directly are affected by methylation is stress. Um, how do you respond to stress? Do you um, have that fighting instinct, that fight or flight method? You know, what's going on with your body? Methylation affects that. It affects um, our large intestine. There's an amino acid, glutathione. It really affects how we, how we are functioning in the lower digestive tract. It does the whole detoxification of all of our hormones. That's a big one, especially for women. It moderates our inflammation response. So if you have an injury or if, again, you have stress, cortisol and blood sugar, these things are all, again, moderated by um, methylation. Um, it actually affects our brain and how we think and how we process information. It affects our energy. I mean, I could go on and on. And, you know, another big one that affects is our immune system. So when we think about methylation and we're talking about this epigenetic picture, if any type of autoimmune um, uh, disease or, um, is coming up for you, this is, this is an area you, you should really start delving into because it, it can have, again, profound effects on correcting the behavior of that autoimmune process. Right. And so what are you seeing specifically, you know, with methylation problems? You know, obviously this picture, you know, looks like most cases, right? I mean, because most people have, what is it, 80% of people have a SNP in their MTHFR gene? Is that correct stats? I think it's six, more like 60, but it could have gone up since I've looked, you know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. So how does somebody know that it's maybe methylation that is the problem on their detoxification of their hormones? Or how would someone know that maybe the way that their brain is processing information could be a SNP in their gene? Like, are there keynotes that you look for in practice? You know, the biggest thing we can, you can run tests, of course, you can do the 23andMe or the Genos tests to take a look at your DNA and the sequencing of the DNA. And those, those can identify, as you just mentioned, what are called SNPs. And SNPs are basically um, looking at the sequence and identifying if it is um, the way that it should be or if it's off. And that's a SNP. Um, and so we can do these tests, but honestly, to be, to be truthful, it's really just a good history with the mm -hmm. patients and really taking into account what their symptoms are, what their struggles are, and 
kind of just comparing um, which genes um, ha have those, that type of picture. So MTHFR, which is a really, really common, as we just mentioned, over 60% you know, of Americans are known to have this SNP in this gene, and it directly affects methylation. Well, if you have a certain markers on a, a blood test, again, if that's something that you like to rely on, which a lot of us do, something like elevated homocysteine levels will be a result of an MTHFR SNP. You know, and as we know, that's a major risk factor for heart and brain um, diseases such as Alzheimer's. But another big one is that it plays a huge role in mood regulation. Okay. So if you're someone who has anxiety or um, irritability or, you know, depression, the, you know, this, this is like the first time we've really been able to identify a very specific marker that's contributing to emotional well-being. You know, it's very correlating and it's such a relief for a lot of people because a lot of times people go to their doctor and they run all sorts of tests and nothing shows up, but they know that something's not right. Mm -hmm. And it's just so relieving to finally find a piece of the puzzle. Right. And I mean, definitely we have seen out here, it's been interesting to watch psychiatrists actually get into methylation problems in, in MTHFR um, testing to check to see if that's going awry because of how much it's actually contributing yes. in pretty big mental illness conditions. So, I mean, that's a pretty substantial case like that's you know been down the road but it, you're seeing how much um, changing the methylation actually changes the brain it does it I mean it really really truly does and you know anxiety is a big one um, I see a lot of women who have increasing levels of anxiety more now than I than I did even even five years ago definitely ten years ago but it's, it's um, um, pretty significant. And one of the things that I'm noticing is that when you have an MTHFR uh, SNP, your methylation is not optimally functioning at the very beginning of the methylation process. And one of the um, key components in methylation are B9, B12, and folate. So a lot of times what people do is they run out and they start taking a bunch of B12 or folate supplements. And unfortunately, um, that can aggravate symptoms. So I want to really encourage folks to talk or work with someone who is knowledgeable to make sure that you're getting the right dosage. I've seen some patients this uh, start taking, you know, B12 and folate, and all of a sudden they are more irritable than they ever have been. Like it's time, it's just very aggravating because the system gets very irritated from, from what's going on. And the other problem that we have is that we have all these foods loaded with folic acid in our diet. Everything's enriched with folic <laughs> acid these days. And if you have a methylation issue, if you have an MTHFR, you cannot process folic acid. So what ends up happening is the folic acid goes in, it actually binds to the sites of the methylation process. And so even if you do happen to have a little bit of the right methyl group to, to go on there, it's blocked by that folic acid. So then you become 
some, you know, basically what I refer to it as it's, it becomes a toxic overload of folic acid. And when I see someone with anxiety, this is the first thing I ask them is mm-hmm. how much folic acid are you getting in your diet? You know, because if you have this, it tends to directly correlate an excess amount of unprocessed folic acid tends in my practice, I've seen correlates to anxiety. Right. And where do you feel like, uh, I mean, there's been a huge increase in anxiety. I would say, I don't know if it's, if you just bridge the umbrella of anxiety as people feel busy, they feel anxious, they feel depressed. They're not really feelings, but that's almost how everybody describes how they feel. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of saying, you know, I feel down or I feel shameful or whatever it is to actually name a feeling. So when we're coming, and I would say patients are coming in all the time with heightened anxiety, fatigue, difficulty sleeping, why have we seen such a kick up of, you know, the MTHFR gene issues, do you feel like they've always been there or do you feel like this is a, a, a factor of something environmental and stress related? I do. I, I do think it's the latter. Mm-hmm. I think we, um, you know, before in my practice, in the early years of my practice, someone would come in, you know, typically over the age of 36 and they would say, I all of a sudden have this symptom. It came out of nowhere. And we would start examining that and it would become evident that, you know, before that symptom arose, their body was doing an amazing job of compensating. So they would, um, you know, go out for a night and indulge in, in rich foods or perhaps alcohol and their body would be able to, to handle the load and process it. But at some point, the scale gets tipped. And then their body is no longer able to compensate as well as it was doing previously. I feel that we have reached that tipping point with our environmental factors. Mm -hmm. Our body just isn't able to keep up anymore with everything that is going on. And you come, you compound the environment, you know, the day-to-day environmental exposures that we might have with perhaps processed food and the additives that are in processed food or GMO foods, you know, the body struggles with having to handle those burdens with, if you're any kind of um, stressed, whether it's with work or school or children or relationships, you know, we tend to all at least have one of those that tends to raise our stress level a bit. So you combine all these things, we're no longer able to compensate like we once were. And so in able to maintain that state of health, it, it requires uh, a little bit more work, I believe, than it used to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, w- I used to say, you know, I'll, I'll just tell you on, on labs that I've seen, I didn't used to see elevated homocysteine. Mm. Now, now it's just all the time. It's mm. consistently. But I remember, you know, there, there definitely was a tipping point. I mean, my practice looked totally different five years ago than it looks today. It's yes. just been so strange. And I used to say, you know, we're exposed to, oh, I don't hear it's, it's heavily chemical, but we're exposed to 
um, 70,000 chemicals or 80,000 chemicals every seven days. Mm. Now the statistic is 70,000 chemicals every single day. And most of those have not been studied as to how they affect humans. So, you know, what type of, we know a lot of these are endocrine disruptors. So, I mean, genetically, they are going to affect us in Mm -hmm. a pretty big way. So that's fantastic. Is there anything else to maybe add on MTHFR? Do you think it's really important? Because it it really controls a lot of things. It does. I, you know, again, I just want to, I want to reiterate if you, if you are consuming folic acid, try to do your best to not (laughs) do that. Um, If you are, um, you know, one of those types that's going to listen to this and say, well, I'm just going to try taking some folate B12. Okay. Um, but start off with the smallest dose possible <laughs> before you get in touch with a practitioner that can help. Mm-hmm. But you know, honestly, the best way to um, improve MTHFR function is to eat greens dark leafy green vegetables and not just, you know, that kale salad every once in a while, but I'm talking about three times a day, get those dark leafy greens in because it it can, again, really shift just that easily once you get that kind of nutrition in you. Wow. So you have actually seen in your practice, not giving a supplement, uh, you know, not giving a, any sort of methylation supplement, but just having somebody eat dark leafy greens will really change the health picture and the expression of the gene. Yes. That's, that's fantastic tip guys. That's fantastic. Yes. So Nutri, if you, um, you know, Nutri genomics is basically the science of how nutrition interacts with our genes. And so it's paired right with epigenetics and what I'm finding. And also, you know, I've learned most of everything I know from Ben Lynch. He's kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. the the guy Mm -hmm. with epigenetics, but he also um, is a huge proponent of, it's really about what you're eating and we're not say, he's not saying, and I'm not saying like you can get everything from your food. I think most of us realize we, we can't anymore rarely get everything from our food, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but you can have a huge impact on your health by your food choices. I agree. Yep. He, and he's amazing. He really does have some amazing information. Yes. Brilliant. One other thing, you know, what have you also seen with methylation um, in blood sugar levels? What have you seen clinically in practice with that? Well, I mean, I think that there are a couple other, um, you know, with MTHR specifically, I think it's anytime you have a SNP. So as as ben, as Dr. Lynch talks about, you can be born with a SNP or you can, it can start acting. A gene can start acting like it's, like it's been snipped. And so when your blood sugar is not sustaining itself, whether through you're not eating regularly or there is something else, you know, more profound going on, anytime you work with the epigenetic picture and the methylation cycle that will improve. Mm-hmm. And so there is, to me, it's a direct correlation. I mean, if you have that going on, you've got to start identifying um, which, which gene is really being affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a general rule, I mean, I would say 90% of 
folks have a blood sugar problem. I don't know what you would say, but <laughs> yes, I, would say I was thinking about 90%. Yes. Well, you know, we love our coffee and sugar. <laughs> and that's a big problem, but that's, you know, it goes along with the American mentality to go, 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 and more is better. And um, unfortunately, it's catching up with us. You know, and I like to make this point because I, I just don't think people realize how coffee really affects blood sugar and how sugar affects it. But I I geek out and I'll check my blood sugar with a glucometer and just mm -hmm. see what's going on. And um, I remember one night, I don't really drink, uh, but one night I went out with friends and I had a glass and a half of wine with dinner and mm -hmm. I checked my blood sugar the next morning. As a general rule, I run between 83 and 85, which is pretty good fasting. Mm -hmm. And then I checked it the next morning and it was at 200. Oh. That's how much a glass and a half of alcohol wow. changed my picture. And people say, you know, that's okay. I only go out and have, you know, four beers on the weekends. Like think about oh. where your blood sugar is all weekend when you're actually mixing alcohol. And you know, I tell another interesting story on that same front. Like I used to have this, I still have an affinity for it, but won't really eat them after this experience. But I love chocolate chip cookies. Love them. <laughs> love them. And it's like my vice. And again, I did that one night. I had, I think I had a cookie or a cookie and a half before bed. I remember it being a little more than like a serving. And um, I woke up the next day and my blood sugar was 198. And that is, and I said, I consistently run at 83 to 85. And when you think about what inflammation that the inflammation that that is creating in my body, you know, and what that's doing to everything, that is just such a problem. So, I mean, those are two like what people would consider minimal examples and how high that spiked glucose yeah. and blood sugar, right? Well, and you make such a good point. And the spike is one thing, but you have to take it one step further. I mean, I don't know that other people don't take it one step further in understanding then your body then has to figure out what to do with that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's, that's right. where it's just like, oh, but, but I'm still like getting up and getting, you know, ready for work and the kids and, and doing all these other things. And the body's like, I cannot believe you're putting this extra stress on me this morning, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. And I think the most terrifying thing about it was I had no symptoms minus lower energy. So, mm -hmm. I mean, none like, oh, I just don't feel like quite as peppy this morning. Mm -hmm. And it, like when that's your only breakdown, you're like, oh, maybe I didn't sleep well. Oh, maybe, you know, whatever. Like you make these excuses of what it is instead of being like, well, I should have taken like better control of my diet because <laughs> <laughs> that was a poor choice. <laughs> I feel really guilty. I actually had a chocolate chip cookie before bed last night. <laughs> See, did you check it? Did you check it? Oh, no. Then I would know. No, and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd have to face it. They are so good, but boy, that was like the only thing that I needed to hold myself accountable was yes. running that thermometer. And I think on the other side of things, I also would like to say you also talked about cortisol and methylation. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really, really important point. Um, and would you just mind just going into a little bit about like, cortisol and cortisol levels and what you've, um, why you think that's connected to uh, methylation? Well, cortisol is, is tricky. Um, you know, it's such a, 
such a player these days. And I think literally again, in every single American, um, probably every single person these days. But um, so cortisol, as you know, it's, it's managed in a lot of different ways, but it's, it's highly managed by the adrenal glands. And so the adrenal glands do lots of different things. Um, but three top things that they do, of course, is they manage blood sugar, they manage inflammation, and they manage stress, right? So when you aren't um, methylating properly, the little switches to turn those things on or off so that you can handle, you know, blood sugar, you've gone too long without eating. Um, you don't want to pass out, right? So um, the switch will turn on, some cortisol will be released so that you can maintain until you get that next, that next meal. You know, you might feel some symptoms like getting dizzy or, or something like that. And then with inflammation, you know, whether it's, you know, you fell off your skateboard and, and sprained your wrist when you were a kid or you just put your back out, you know, doing gardening last weekend, cortisol gets released to, to tame that fire, to kind of keep that fire under control so it doesn't get out of control. And then, of course, cortisol is also released with stress, you know, to, to temper um, the physiological responses. Well, if methylation's not working, then none of those things are working. So then it also pairs with the adrenals not working. So a lot of us have been, you know, really into adrenal fatigue syndrome and, and all of that for so long. Well, now it's like, what, but wait, what's above that? Well, guess what? Methylation's above that. You know, it's, it's the umbrella. So it's like, you got to keep going back. You know, as naturopaths, we always say we get to the core, we get to the core. Well, guess what? A lot of us stopped at adrenal fatigue and we were stuck there for a while. And now it's like, oh, look at this. There's this, this huge umbrella above that. Okay. So yeah, methylation, just it's, it's just really important to feel good. Mm -hmm. I had an interesting case and this, I think was the like epitome when I realized like adre the adrenal like modality that how we were treating it wasn't really working but a mm -hmm. patient came in and said yeah you know I'm taking this thing for my adrenal glands and I'm like well, oh is it is it working how are how are you feeling on that and she said well I'm not sure it's kicked in yet and I'm like well how long have you been taking it she said about a year oh and I'm like yeah <laughs> Yeah, we're just going to wait. We're going to stop. We're just going to, about two years, it kicks in. And, and to me, that was like the, the moment where I'm like, you know, I just, it's been constantly reaffirmed to me that, you know, just tr looking at the adrenal gland and being like, ashwagandha seems like a good choice or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, isn't really working, you know? So anyhow, I really appreciate you bringing that up because the way we manage stress and the amount of people getting cortisone shots because their their own personal cortisol is not working mm -hmm. is huge. So awesome. Yeah. Anything yeah. else to add on that? No, I think, I mean, I could talk forever, but. I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you want to go into next? Um, genetically, which, well, uh, I'd love to talk, you know, there's, there's a handful of, of really good genes to look at and, um, but there's two that I just wanted to touch base on. One was um, one. The next one I just wanted to touch base on because it does really affect women. It does really affect how we um, metabolize our estrogen, which is you know really important. Um, and that's COMT and th this little gene called COMT, and it it's 
it's kind of interesting because COMT, unlike MTHFR, MTHFR, basically if it's snipped, then it's, it's um, not working. But COMT can be snipped and it can work really fast or it can work really slow, which is interesting. So COMT, we say it's either the focus and buoyancy or the, the like almost melancholy and calm. So, um, um, so you basically have it, if, if the COMT is, met, is uh, well, first let me just tell you what it does. It affects the estrogen in the sense that it metabolizes it. So if you have excess estrogen, it's what breaks it down and rids it from the body, right? It also breaks down the stress neurotransmitters. So like dopamine, nor norepinephrine and epinephrine. So, you know, not just your feel goods, but your energy <laughs> going on. Mm -hmm. So if it's metabolizing really fast, then you have um, not another, they're remaining in the body longer. Wait, hang on. Let me think about this. Sorry, I got distracted. Give me a minute. All right. So if, you're, if your COMT is working really fast, it's clearing all of this estrogen. It's clearing all the dopamine. It's clearing the norepinephrine and epinephrine from your system. So they're leaving faster than they should be, right? That's not good. Things need to stay long enough to do the job that they're meant to do. Same thing if it's on the other side. If it's going really slow you might not be clearing estrogen out as fast as you should or the other neurotransmitters. So if it's really slow and moving things out, think about estrogen issues, things that have more estrogen than should normally be there. PMS, fibroids, menstrual issues, female cancers, energy issues. Um, and then some say, um, when you have more of that around, it gives you a little bit more of um, confidence or buoyancy. You're a little more of a go-getter is kind of how they have paired this, which I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you've got sleep difficulties. You have a really hard time like powering down at night. You know, you're the one that's like getting ready to go to bed and making your list for the next day. Mm -hmm. um, you could be really sensitive to caffeine. Um, because you already have enough, you know, energy, so to speak. And so that caffeine goes in and there, it's like a, a triple shot. Um, but if it's moving through really fast, it's these people who have a really hard time perhaps focusing or completing tasks or their forgetfulness. Um, they can have menopausal challenges because of the hormone, you know, hormones not being balanced as they should. Um, and a lot of... Um, just calm kind of lack of interest almost to the point of not understanding why they never really get excited. Mm -hmm. So there's both of these um, types of people out there and really understanding your COMT is important, particularly for reproductive and, you know, perimenopausal and menopausal women, you know, understanding that estrogen, how it's clearing from the body or how it's not clearing from the body is going to, going to give you clues on how to best treat yourself. It's amazing, actually. There's, you know, I think a lot of people really struggle with, um, I, you know, dopamine. And I mean, you know, mania is definitely something that's pretty common, you mm -hmm. know, to be able to clear this out. I mean, there's, 
there's a lot that's wrapped up in this and all the hormone challenges that so many women I know. Have, right? It's just so consistent. So, I mean, in, you know, we talk about that. I mean, that's just incredible. So are you working, what are you seeing like change-wise or, or just like a brief treatment-wise of what really helps to, um, to almost build this back up where we're not seeing SNPs? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, the goal is always, of course, right, to um, make the gene think it's not SNPs. <laughs> That's right. right. So that it functions normally and it functions um, appropriately so that you've got that happy medium of it balancing the hormones so that you have enough when you need it, mm-hmm. but they're not hanging around more than necessary. So again, it just comes back to that methylation cycle. If you are taking um, the, the appropriate supplements that's been you know, determined by your practitioner, if you're eating correctly, if you are um, staying away from environmental toxins, balancing your stress. Again, it's, it, the thing is with all of these SNPs and all of these genes that may or may not be um, working as we'd like them to, the treatment is all the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Eat really well, eat dark leafy greens, and then and, you know, minimize stress. It's really, it's back to basics. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is back to basics. But I have to say, going back to basics gets harder and harder for us to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not... It's not like it once was where you cut out a few things, but we have so many things at this point in our modern life that we have to adjust in order to create health. It, it's a real challenge. And, and tell me if I'm correct on this, because this is how I've generally seen um, genes and SNPs, and I think how a lot of people see it is there are certain genetic SNPs that you're maybe predisposed to. So it's not... I get asked a lot, oh, is it because I was exposed to this environmental toxin and now this is why I get a SNP and say the MTHFR gene or mm-hmm. in, in the COMT gene? No, I mean, it's just where you're predisposed generally is where you're going to get the SNP, especially in higher stressful times. I just want to make sure I was understanding that correctly. That is my understanding as well. Okay. Okay, yes. wonderful. But the interesting thing is, is that they have proven now that, you, you know, like back to my brother-in-law's example, that genetic, so, you know, my brother-in-law was born into this world with, you know, the next one we're going to talk about, an NOS3 SNP, which is directly correlated with cardiac health mm-hmm. and insufficiency. But they are now proving that if you if you live within balance and in a healthy way, you can create a genetic change. So your offspring are no longer genetically predisposed. Mm-hmm. So you can't, we can change it, which is pretty radical to think about. Yep. And I think people, I think people want to give up when they hear that they have a genetic issue up. Oh, this yes. is just the way I am. Well, not, not really because genes turn on and turn off all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and you can definitely in the course of that, you know, completely change your genetic picture. I mean, some people definitely do get the shorter end of the stick, mm-hmm. but still, I mean, you really do have control over what is expressed and what's not. Yes. I mean, you really do. It's just, um, 
having the right tools and, you know, the right information to make right. the choices you need. Right. So our, our, uh, our, our last one is, you know, obviously the, the number one killer yes. you know, is still cardiac. And I mean, we, we've, we've stared at these cholesterol markers for, I don't know when people are going to get on board and still realize it's not cholesterol, but you know, we've, we've been staring at this cardiac marker have had really very little changes with cardiovascular disease. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we continue to continue to approach this. I feel like the wrong way with statins and, um, you know, I am curious um, what you're seeing in genetic SNPs here and what we can change by, you know, maybe, um, uh, you know, calming, calming the SNP down on the NOS gene. Yeah, so the NOS, you know, just so that everyone is, is aware, that this gene influences the production of nitric oxide, and so, and th which is a major factor in heart health. Mm -hmm. And it affects, you know, processes as blood flow and blood cell formation. So very common of an NOS3 um, compromise would be high blood pressure, again, anxiety, cold hands and feet, depression, um, erectile dysfunction in men, migraines, heart attacks, so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, there are specific impacts of, a, you know, when your NOS3 is snipped, there's specific impacts on women, you know, pr pregnant women. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really big piece because you're, you're developing all of these, you know, blood vessels constantly to, to support a baby and to support your own blood flow. It gets harder and harder. So it can, it can um, really um, impact, um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, it, it can lead to miscarriage often. Um, if someone has a SNP in their NOS3 because they're not able to maintain the life of the pregnancy. Um, in postmenopausal women, it has a, a really high impact because, again, the blood pressure can go up. You're not processing the estrogen. Um, so the estrogen stimulates the NOS3 to produce nitric, nitric oxide. So, again, if you, let's say, you know, higher up, <laughs> You're not producing, you know, you're not clearing your estrogen. Well, guess what? Estrogen byproduct can be. It's nitric oxide. So and what does nitric oxide do? It causes, you know, problems in the cardiac realm. So um, these are very important things to consider when we're looking at women's health, particularly, um, you know, reproductive women and, and peri and postmenopausal women with the NOS3. Yeah, wow. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, I think, if a patient comes in, I want to just go to the, the lowest denominator first. They have cold hands and cold feet. Um, they are generally just either slapped with thyroid, mm -hmm. which, you know, it, it's pretty common to see, you know, issues with the thyroid gland, but also with uh, Raynaud's phenomenon or Raynaud's yes. syndrome, mm -hmm. however you want to call it. And are told to, oh, you know, um, some of these other autoimmune markers aren't present yet. You just might want to warm your hands up, use a hot pack, increase inflammation. Like, but <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I can't, I, wow. I mean, I have no words for that because that's not really a fix. No. You know, that's, that's not really even getting to the root of the problem. And if there's no, if there's no even autoimmune markers yet, are you really dealing with Raynaud's or are you dealing with maybe a nitric oxide problem? 
Right. And that's typically, it's the latter. Mm-hmm. It's very common, you know, and you're talking about, talking about just getting, you know, put into a box. That's basically what's happening with the diagnoses and then, you know, a treatment of whatever that might be. But referring back to what you were saying about statins, you know, that's, that is, pers- I mean, they're one of the top most prescribed drug out there. Well, guess what statins do? <laughs> they increase the production of nitric oxide. So, you know, you're basically uh, compromising your cardiac health by taking that. Yeah, you might be lowering your cholesterol on paper, but wow, I mean, we're really missing the boat here, folks. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, with statins, you know, at the end of the day, people come in and they feel terrible on oh, statins yes. because they hurt everywhere because it blocks, you know, it, it, it blocks everything that you need to do with, um, with fat hormones because all our hormones are run based on fat. And so, and then they come in with all kinds of odd musculoskeletal problems that just suddenly appeared. <laughs> suddenly. Like, <ta-da. laughs> What's changed? Okay. Well, I'm trying to lower this, you know, from, but and I mean, I think your body is really trying to tell you something that that's not the, the fix. So, um, and so your, how you're working on NOS is very, very similar to everything else. The treatment is the same, making it's sure you have the right cofactors, making sure yep. your is right. Mm-hmm. And really trying to limit you know, environmental toxicity and exposure, which is so challenging. Yes. I mean, again, we're, we're going back to the, the very basic, and that is get your methylation on track. You know, get all those light bulbs changed so you can turn them on and off appropriately. And that, that's what has the biggest impact on these SNPs if they're not acting right. Right. You know, it's interesting, and I, I don't know if you have seen a lot of this where you are or heard a lot of this is, you know, um, saunaine is, is pretty common here, and, and there has been an increase um, with saunaine and then the Hubbard protocol using mm, niacin, and um, it's really interesting when, you're, when you hear people talk about it because people will get such mixed results from such high B vitamins and the B vitamins that they're actually taking and then interesting reactions to niacin that they're saying are above and beyond. Like I think they're pushing their systems too hard, but it's really interesting to, to hear people trying to do these protocols and trying to detox, but maybe struggling a little bit. Well, it's interesting, you know, where my mind goes is, well, that'd be an easy way to tell (laughs) who's got the snip. (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. Like it's pushing them and detoxing them too fat. They're just, yeah, work. Yeah. That was kind of interesting. I was like, wow, that's so funny that some people are having such hyper reactions on this and some people are not because, you know, there's been this, um, culture of heavy duty, you know, detox, I've got to get rid of these environmental toxins. So interesting. It's been interesting. You know, the best way to get rid of environmental deep, environmental toxins is to have your body work right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you have your body work right, it'll do it. Mm -hmm. If your body's not working right, then no, then it it won't do it. But you know, people push their bodies with those detox protocols and even a good thing, your body still has to process it. That's right. That's right. And you can do too much. I just want to reiterate this, um, but 
I personally see a lot of people do too much, exercise too hard, push too hard, be too stressed out, add too many things to their plate. And I just think it's, um, I think it's counteracting the health benefits of a lot of things that they're doing. I agree. And as a society, we have to reteach and retrain <laughs> of what is the balance because th that's not balance. Mm -mm. Any tips for finding balance or any tips that you give <laughs> patients? <laughs> any tips you've got? You know what my biggest tip is? Let's hear it. 15 minutes a day, sit and do nothing. Mm -hmm. Just nothing. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to you know, but literally don't have a book, don't have the TV on, you know, your kids can be around or your family or whatever, but just literally just sit there for 15 minutes a day and do absolutely nothing. I like and that. I, I find that to be very profound in people's lives. I was, I was, I, I get told, you know, you hear everything about meditation or slowing down. So I fall asleep. Yes, so, me too. So I'm like, clearly, I just need to go to bed. Like, that's really where I need to be. So I've actually had to walk in, walk in, and relax because if I just stop, I'm, I'm in trouble. It's like yes. lights out. No, I just sit on my porch and kind of look at the trees. That's a that's what I do. I sit on the porch, look at the trees. <laughs> that's you know, see what's see what's going on in the bird life out there. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Um, anything else you wanted to share about what we talked about today? But this has been a really interesting conversation on, on genes. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And I think the biggest thing, if you're, you know, if you're piqued by this conversation and interested, just start learning more and find people who know more. Um, you know, my biggest, my biggest thing, because I am, uh, you know, I'm guilty as well as I think I can do everything myself. And um, I am constantly humbled and reminded that when I start talking to others who have information, it leads to such a fuller picture and such a better picture. And so I just really encourage um, y'all to, to talk to other people about it because that is uh, uh, going to give you the best results. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, where can people find you? Oh, well, you can find me on my website, which is drjjpurcell.com. Um, and I answer emails all the time. So if you have any question about anything, by all means, um, shoot me an email. Um, my main modality besides this new passion has always been herbs. I've been an herbalist and, and have written books on herbal medicine. So if that's something that interests you, um, by all means, you can, you can check those out too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and yes. sharing all this information that you had and just taking time out of your busy day. So thank well, you again. Thank you for doing what you do. I'm sure many people are benefiting it from, so don't ever stop. <laughs> yes, so thank much. you. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.